Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. God is a God of grace and mercy, though his patience and long-suffering have a limit. The prophet Hosea's message to the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century BC was one of impending judgment, but he calls them to repentance, reminding them that it is not too late to experience God's forgiveness and blessing. In this 10th episode of our study of the Old Testament book of Hosea, we are reminded that even after a pattern of sinful behavior and rebellion, individuals and nations can still repent and avoid judgment from God. Join us as we view Hosea chapters 9 through 11 in this series entitled, I Love You Truly, Part 2, Studies in the Book of Hosea. Let's think for a little bit about the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament prophets as a group. The Old Testament prophets, I think you will agree with me, uh, as you read uh, about them and you read their books uh, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets uh, were a fascinating bunch uh, and, and certainly diverse, a lot of variety among them, to the point where we might say that each of those Old Testament prophets could be considered unique in his own way, but at the same time, though each one was unique in his own way, at the same time, there are certain characteristics that are common to all of the Old Testament prophets. And I've listed at least three of them here for you. First of all, there is this characteristic exhibited by all of the Old Testament prophets, and that is, to a man, it was total consecration to God and to their calling as a prophet. Total consecration, total dedication to God. Now, when you read about the prophets, you realize that they, they, were, they were in it 110%. They were all in. Just think about Hosea for a moment along that line and realize that when God called Hosea to be a prophet, God said to him, I want you to be my prophet. And Hosea probably said, okay, well, whatever, that's fine. And then God went on to say, now, there's a few things you should know ahead of time. Number one, the woman you love and I want you to marry is going to be unfaithful to you time and time again. She is going to break your heart. So you are in for a big time hurt. Now, listen, if God told you men ahead of time, that the woman you were interested in was going to break your heart, what would you do? You would say, that's it, babe. I'm off to somebody else. But Hosea was told by God, I want you to be my prophet. I want you to do this. And by the way, you'll have three children born to you. And those three children, I want them to be named specific names. One is going to be scattered because eventually I'm going to judge the Jewish people and scatter them all over the place. Uh, the other is going to be lo ruhama, which means without pity, without compassion, without, you know, feeling sorry for. And the other is going to be called lo ami, which is my people. Are not, you're not my people anymore. 
Now, imagine, okay, not only is he told to marry this woman who's going to break his heart, but they're going to have three kids, and those kids are going to go through their lives with those names that really are, are, are ignominious. And I would suggest to you that any person who would say, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do, had to be a consecrated individual. And certainly that was true of Hosea, and that is true of all of the Old Testament prophets. Secondly, there's the characteristic of indomitable courage. They were courageous individuals, because time and time again, they lambasted the people around them. They brought up the issue of the sin and, and the rebelliousness of the people all around them. Never really seemed to have encouraging words, always seemed to have words of criticism and condemnation. And that criticism and condemnation extended all the way up to the highest levels of government, including the king himself and the highest level of politics. It took a lot of courage to do that. And the prophets did that very thing indomitable courage. And then third, there was the characteristic of masterful and creative communication skills. Now, they all did their communication in a slightly different way, which is what makes each one unique in his own way, but they were excellent communicators using various communication tools. Sometimes it was illustrations, sometimes it was object lessons, sometimes uh, it was metaphors, sometimes it was similes, but they, they used these various techniques and devices to communicate effectively. And once again, as we're going to see in our study this evening, you have Hosea, who uses various communication tools to effectively communicate his message. Now remember, his message was not well-received, but they got the message. And the fact that they responded the way they did means that he was effective in what it was that he was communicating. Quickly, by way of review, I would remind you that Hosea is one of the 12 minor prophets. Remember, that means simply that the books written by these minor prophets or that record their prophecies are shorter in length than some of the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And Hosea is one of the 12 minor prophets. He ministered in the northern kingdom of Israel. And you'll remember that oftentimes when reference is made to the northern kingdom of Israel, it, it actually is made using the term Ephraim, Ephraim. Merle Anders was with us early this afternoon and before the session, he pointed out the text and he said, how do you pronounce this, pronounce this word? That's E-P-H-R-A-I-M. And I said, you know, I got fancy. And I said, well, actually, most many people would say Ephraim, uh, but a more correct uh, pronunciation is Ephraim. And he said, that's not how they say it in New Jersey. <laughs> because there's a Mount Ephraim, New Jersey. And I said, well, you mean they don't say Mount Ephraim? And no, he, they do not. In any case, um, oftentimes when you see that term, Ephraim or Ephraim, it refers to the whole northern kingdom of Israel. There were 10 tribes, remember, who rebelled against uh, King Rehoboam under the leadership of Jeroboam I. Those 10 tribes were the northern 10 tribes, and the largest of those 10 tribes was the tribe of Ephraim or Ephraim. And so oftentimes that term is used to refer to the whole northern kingdom. Uh, Hosea prophesied roughly for 50 years from 760 to 715 BC. We are not going to be looking at, uh, at chapter 9 in its entirety or chapter 10 in its entirety. 
or chapter, well, we'll look at chapter 11 in its entirety, but aren't you glad we're not going to do all three because you'd be here until 11 o'clock at night? Uh, so what I've done here is to just pick out a couple of, of verses in chapter 9 and chapter 10 that, that really are pertinent to the message that Hosea continues, and really it is a continuation of what we have in the first eight chapters. So uh, our last study two weeks ago was Hosea chapter 8. And technically, that brings us to 9, then 10, then 11. Uh, but actually, these two chapters, 9 and 10, are the continuation of the earlier message of Hosea, which was, you'll recall, first of all, a denunciation of Israel's spiritual adultery. That is their infidelity to, to their God, Jehovah, the God of Israel, the one true God. They were unfaithful to him. They went, as the expression goes, a whoring after other gods, following other gods. And Hosea denounces their spiritual adultery. And the evidence of their spiritual adultery was actually their sinful, rebellious behavior in so many, many different ways. And then, in addition to his denunciation of uh, their, their spiritual infidelity and their, their behavior, then there also is the message, the proclamation of impending divine judgment. And that wasn't real popular. You know, anyone who runs around saying repent or burn, you know, turn or burn, anybody who says that is probably not going to be real popular. And so he was not. But nonetheless, he faithfully proclaimed that message. And the message was that there would be certain, sure and certain, divine judgment if they did not respond to his message calling them to repentance. Now, it wasn't as if the Jewish people, in this case, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, it wasn't as if they hadn't been warned. Because as we saw two weeks ago, um, at the end of Moses' life, as uh, he, was, he was going to be dying very soon, and the mantle of leadership was being passed on to Joshua. The Jews are still on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And they have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they are about to cross under the leadership of Joshua. When Moses is gone, they're about to cross the Jordan River and enter the promised land. But before they do, Moses gathers them on the eastern side of the Jordan River and, and talks to them from his heart, having been their leader for 40 years, and he says, if you obey what God tells you, what he's given you in his law on Sinai, if, if you do what he tells you, if you follow his principles, if you are obedient to him, if you are faithful to him, you will experience abundant blessings from God. And then what follows in Deuteronomy 27 and the next chapter is a list of the various blessings that would be experienced in the promised land by the Jewish people. But then he says, however, if you choose to disobey God and not be faithful to him and not follow his law, then you will experience horrible consequences. There will be curses that will fall upon you. And those curses, likewise, are found in Deuteronomy 27 to Deuteronomy 30. That then brings us to uh, these couple of verses from Hosea chapter 9. And in Hosea chapter 9, verse 16 and verse 17, 
what we find is this. It is the message of Hosea. It is a message of impending judgment, but it is a judgment which is sure and certain and absolute if they do not respond to the call to repentance. Impending but certain judgment, and that judgment would include, and, and he's very specific here in these two verses, that judgment would include, first of all, infertility of the women and infanticide. The difference, of course, infertility and inability to either conceive or to carry full term and give birth. Infanticide meaning that children born would actually be put to death uh, or would be killed. And that's pretty heavy duty, isn't it? And then the other thing that is, that is uh, included as God's judgment here in this case is dispersion. That is that as a people, they would, be, they would be attacked by enemies and they would be scattered and dispersed to other places. Now, once again, I would remind you that it's not as if they were not warned. Uh, they were warned that both of these things would happen to them as consequences of disobedience. And that, of course, is what we find in Deuteronomy and let me just read a, a couple of verses from Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I'll begin with verse 15. And, and this sets the scene. Deuteronomy 28, 15. But it shall, this is Moses now, God speaking to Israel through Moses. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice, and he's just listed the blessings of what they'll get if they do hearken to the voice of God. But now it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And then there's a long list of curses. And just a few verses later, in verse 18, there's this. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body. That refers to procreation. The fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy cows and the flocks of thy sheep. That is to say, not only will the people be infertile, but the land will be infertile. Their livestock will be infertile. And overall, it will be characterized by infertility. We learn from other passages that when enemy invaders would attack them, those enemy invaders would indiscriminately kill man, woman, and child. And so children would be put to death as well. Sadly, we have a bit of a parallel right now, don't we, in the Ukraine, where the Russian army is, in some places, indiscriminately killing, attacking, uh, places where it is known that there are children to be. Uh, but certainly that is something that is promised as divine judgment. And then this matter of dispersion. Later on in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it continues to talk about the consequences of disobedience. Verse 63, It shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing, and ye shall be plucked from off the land to which thou goest to possess it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people 
from the one end of the earth even unto the other. The other. So that message continues there in Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, and you find this in these two verses, 16 and 17. Ephraim is stricken, their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit, even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. I told you that the prophets are excellent communicators. Oftentimes they use metaphors. Here there's a mixed metaphor. First of all, there's this. Ephraim, that refers to the northern kingdom of Israel, is stricken. It is That judgment is certain. It's almost as if it's already happened. Even though it didn't happen until somewhere later on in Hosea's prophetic ministry, Hosea says, it's sure and certain it's going to happen. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up, and they shall bear no fruit. The metaphor there is that of a tree. And the tree has experienced some sort of a damage. It's been cut off. And the root has withered, and therefore it produces no fruit. That is to say, the tree is infertile. But then he shifts the metaphor when he says, even though they give birth, that is the people, the women, even though they give birth, and they will be infertile, many of them will not even be able to conceive. But if they can conceive and they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. That's the infanticide. And then verse 17, my God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. That is that dispersion uh, that we have talked about. Okay, we're going to look then at Hosea chapter 10. And in Hosea chapter 10, the the tone changes a bit, and there's kind of a new component to the message. Because here, it's not only a proclamation of impending judgment. Here, it is a call to repentance. And it's very, very clear, this call to repentance. And uh, I put it this way. Hosea says, repent now or else. Repent now or else. And it's verses 12 through 15. You have the text there before you. And this is what it says. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors, therefore, the tumult of war shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed, as Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle. Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel. Bethel, remember, was one of the cities where the golden calf was set up under Jeroboam, became a center of false worship. Thus shall it be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. Now, by the way, the reference to the impending tumult of war and the consequences there in verse 14 says, As Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel. Interestingly, we don't really know who that refers to, to whom that refers. Uh, there have been, there's been some speculation, but Apparently, it was, very, it was very clear in the minds of Hosea's audience, the northern kingdom, what he was referring to. It was a time of, of horrific war and horrific consequences. But the main point here is this, and that is verse 12. Hosea's call is this. 
he says, thus far, the field that you have plowed and the seed that you have planted has produced a harvest of yuck. That is yuck, Y-U-K, yuck. Because this is what he says in verse 13. You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. And now as a result of that, that's what you're going to experience in judgment. So verse 12 is his call to repentance where he says, repent now or else. He says, plow a new field, one that hasn't been plowed up to this point. It's fallow. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground and plant something else, a different kind of seed. Uh, plant seeds of obedience and faithfulness to the Lord, and guess what you will reap? You will, you will sow righteousness and you will reap steadfast love. He says, it is time now to seek the Lord. And if you do, he will come and rain righteousness upon you. For any wicked nation, there is still hope. I remind you of Nineveh when Jonah went there. Jonah didn't like it, but it happened. He called the Assyrians, yes, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, to repentance and they repented, and God put off his plan to destroy the Assyrian Empire and Nineveh. Any nation that responds to a call to repentance could well experience a reprieve from God's judgment, even our nation. And that's important, I think, to keep in mind. Uh, so that really is the emphasis of all of this, repent now or else. Okay, let's come now to chapter 11, Hosea chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12, and it is Hosea and not Hebrews. And the first, and, and again, the tone changes even more in Hosea chapter 11, uh, where now it's not only a matter of denunciation and proclamation of impending judgment, but now there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And first of all, there is the reminder from God through his prophet of how God has been good to Israel, God's goodness to Israel, the first four verses. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning, burnt offering, burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the oak on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. The Exodus took place about 700 years before Hosea's ministry. And that is referred to in verse 1, the time when God called his son, and in this case he's referring to Israel, the Jewish people, as my son. When God called his son out of Egypt, where they had been slaves uh, in Egypt for 400 years, and in God's grace and mercy and tender kindness, he brought deliverance for the Jewish people when Israel was still a lot younger. 
700 years younger than Hosea's day, which is why he says, when Israel was a child 700 years ago, I loved him. I loved your people. And I called you, my people, out of Egypt, my son. However, what was their response? Well, first of all, God sent at various times prophets like Hosea. When the people stepped out of line, what was their reaction? Notice verse 2. The more they were called, the Jewish people, the more they were called to repentance by the prophets, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals, the false gods, and the burning offerings to idols. And then verse 3 is this very poignant picture of God as a loving father to the Jewish people. He says, yet it was I who taught Ephraim, that's northern kingdom Israel, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I was the one who was healing them. Remember we said about the metaphors that the prophets use? Here the metaphor is a father who's helping his child to learn to walk. Remember when your kids were learning to walk? It was not a pretty picture in most cases. Uh, and, and, you know, remember as, as a child would start to walk, oftentimes the father would hold on to the hands. Here, I'll help you a little bit so that you don't fall and break your nose. And, and all along the way, the idea was at some point I'm going to let go so you can kind of walk off on your... That's the picture here. Uh, we have it in verse 3. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. They didn't know that I was the one who healed them over the years. And then the metaphor changes again in verse 4. Now the metaphor is not a loving Heavenly Father. Now the metaphor is a person who has a beast of burden, whether it's an ox or a donkey, we're not sure. But the picture is of the owner of that beast of burden who instead of yanking on the harness, uh, instead of... Uh, putting a yoke on the ox and a muzzle in his mouth and pulling back. No, he takes the yoke off. He takes the muzzle out of the mouth. And instead, he entices the animal to do what it should do by feeding the animal. You see it here, verse 4. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. That's God's goodness to Israel. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is that same God who loves you and me with a heart of tenderness and goodness and grace and mercy. And then the rest of this chapter, verses 5 through 7 indicate there is going to be judgment. It is certain. Verse 5. They shall not return to the land of Egypt. Remember, in other places, the prediction of defeat at the hands of their enemies and even captivity is referred to as going back to Egypt, as it was 700 years before. Here, he says, literally, you're not going to go back to Egypt, but rather, you are going to go to Assyria. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. And we know that happened uh, later on at the end of, of uh, Hosea's ministry. Verse 6, the sword shall rage against their cities, 
consume the bars of their gates, devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. God is a long-suffering God, but there is coming a time when God says, that's enough. You've had enough opportunity. You can call all you want. For now, it's as if I don't hear you. I do hear you, but it's as if I don't hear you. Uh, you can call upon me. Where, where were you when I asked you again and again and again to call upon me? And when they do, he will not raise them up at all. Uh, and then in verses 8 and 9, in spite of this impending judgment, which seems so bleak and frankly final, there is the assurance that Israel will survive, that the Jewish people will not be annihilated. That's been the whole point, frankly, of Purim, the holiday of Purim, the attempt uh, by Haman to annihilate the Jewish people, which was defeated. And you can come all the way down to the Holocaust and the many, many times that have uh, there has been an indication that maybe the Jews are kaput. But God says, never is that going to happen. And we have that in verses 8 and 9. How can I give you up? It is as if God responds and says, in spite of all of this and the judgment that is coming, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel, to destruction and annihilation? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Say what? Adma and Zeboim? Remember, those two towns were in the neighborhood of Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because there were less than 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, he annihilated them. And along with them were the other little towns like Adma and Zeboim that were around Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, how can I make you like those places? In other words, annihilate you. I can't. My heart recoils within me at the very thought. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. And he is angry at sin. But he says, I will not destroy my people as a result of it. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. You know what the man would do? He'd say, you want to treat me like that? That's it. You're done. How many times have you said, if I were God, right? Let me tell you what I would do. Well, thankfully, he's not us. And it says here, I am the holy one in your midst. I am God, not a man, and I will not come in wrath. Finally, uh, verses 10 and 11 tell us that there is, yes, there's going to be dispersion. It's guaranteed, but it's they're going to come back. They're going to come back to the land, verses 11 and 12. They shall come, uh, verse 10, excuse me, they shall go after the Lord in the future. There's a lot that has to happen between now and then, but they will go after the Lord in the future. He will roar like a lion. There is the, the you know, the simile again. Uh, he will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. By the way, it's three points of the compass there. You see that? Uh, when he roars, when God calls them through circumstances, when he calls them, his children will come, first of all, from the west, and then some will come from Egypt, that's in the south, and some will come from Assyria, that's in the north. And so from all points of the compass, Jews will return to the land, and he says, I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Oh, there's one other postscript here, and that is verse 12. It's interesting. 
Ephraim, the northern kingdom, has surrounded me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah, that's the southern kingdom, Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. And so God is saying through the prophet, your relatives down south, they are still at least open to responding to the call to repentance. And we know at the end of Hosea's prophetic ministry, there was a king in the southern kingdom. His name was Hezekiah. And under Hezekiah, there was a spiritual revival. And God says, Judah still is faithful to me, walking with God, faithful to the Holy One, so I will spare judgment. But that didn't last very long, because inevitably Judah followed the plan, the, the pattern of their relatives in the north. Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcast. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.